If you are not aware of uh, what has been happening with Pastor Saeed, it's, it's been in the, uh, I want to say it's been in the news. It is not too often seen in the mainstream media. I know that Fox News has had his wife on, and uh, there's, there have been a lot of pleas uh, to our government to help bring him out of that prison. Uh, and it almost seems to no avail. And that is of sad commentary of our own country today. But I am telling you this. We need to pray for this pastor. We need to take hold of that very heart and attitude. Though we uh, ourselves uh, may, may suffer for the cause of Christ, we're not suffering like that. And it's, uh, it's something that <clears throat> should awaken our hearts. Uh, it's a perception that we need to take hold of from heaven and not from just this earth or from ourselves. So I encourage you, if you want to find out more, if you'll go to the ACLJ.org website, which is the American Center for Law and Justice, Jay Sekulow's group. Uh, you'll find out uh, that there are certain things that uh, they've been doing uh, to help uh, Pastor Saeed. But more than anything, uh, he just needs us to pray for him and take hold of, of, of the banner of prayer for his family as well. So please, please do that, if you will. Again, it's aclj.org, the uh, American Center for Law and Justice, which is a, really a counter group to uh, the American Civil Liberties Union. Uh, so, well, this morning I... I'd like to draw your attention to Genesis chapter 26. Once again, <clears throat> excuse me, this weather is challenging to the voice. We're going to complete this particular chapter today as we look at four more trials that Isaac, the son of Abraham, faced. Trials and tribulations. <clears throat> I find it quite interesting that, um, and actually significant that the Lord would allow us the opportunity to see that video in light of what we're studying today. And I hope that we can actually bring these thoughts together in our own hearts as, as to the uh, issues of trials uh, that we're going through as well. Isaac has responded at the beginning of this chapter in fear. And he's, he's left the land of promise. He went into the direction of Egypt, which is always, at least in this particular case, a, a type of the world. But God stops him and tells him, don't go to Egypt. Dwell temporarily here in Gerar. Yet Isaac's actions would make him want to stay in Gerar and not go back to the promised land. These were some of the things that we'll deal with as far as in review of the previous trials that he faced. But now some other things have arisen. God has indeed blessed him. 
God allowed him to use some land and, and actually he sowed and he reaped. And God blessed what he did. We begin with that thought in verse 12 of our text. And so it says in verse 12, And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells, which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, and they had filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. You know, when we consider tests and trials, tribulations and temptations, our focus as believers in and followers of Jesus Christ should not always be on the troubles or even the struggles or, or the pain that we go through because of them. But our focus needs to be upon the object that these tests are hurled upon. And the object that these tests are hurled upon is our faith. We need to focus upon that. Because you see, true faith is always tested. True faith is always tested. Whether it be by those temptations within us or those trials that constantly seem to be ever around us. You know, we're given some understanding of that in the, in the epistle of James in the New Testament. Where James says in verses 2 through 4, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Have you ever had that idea that once you have a trial, you just jump into joy for it? You know, we don't normally do that. But yet that's what, the, that's what James says. He says, count it all joy. Count it joy when you face these various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, there is something that is going to be produced by that testing of your faith, that the testing of your faith produces patience. What is it that we need when we go through trials? And God gives that to us. He's never going to not give us what we need when we go through trials. And when He takes us through them, But let patience have its perfect work. In other words, don't become impatient with your patience. And then try to help God out. He said, let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, he touches on that issue of trials, but he also then in verses 12 through 15 touches on the issue of our temptations as well. He says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. That begins with the enemy, by the way, doesn't it? Begins with the enemy, he throws out that, that temptation, but then we act on it. He says, each one is tempted when he's drawn away 
by his own desires and entices. And then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So the trials that we face and the temptations that we face are quite needed, quite necessary, the trial or the testings themselves. Because this, a faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. A faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. And here are a couple of things that we need to remember. First of all, the Lord tests us to bring out the best in us. Always remember that. The Lord tests us to bring out the best in us. He's working for our good. He loves us. That's why He tests us. He's working for our good. On the other hand, the enemy, Satan, tests, attempts us to bring out the worst in us. What happens when you falter and you, and you fall into that temptation? It brings out the worst in you, not the best in you. Now, what happens is, if the temptation is out there, we consider it as a test by God. We say, okay, you know what? I'm not going that direction. It has just brought out the best in you. Why? Because God has tested us. But if we fall and and begin to follow that temptation, it brings out the worst. Because we're headed away from the spiritual nature that God has given us in Christ. And we're dealing again with the ugly human nature of the flesh. So in one way or another, each new generation has to experience the same trials and testing as generations that have gone before, if only to learn that the devil doesn't change his tactics and that man's nature doesn't get better on its own. All of you who have ever gone through tests, you, do you agree with that? The devil never changes his tactics. He might become more high-tech than he was before, but he never changes his tactics. His tactics remain the same. And one other thing, our nature cannot get better on its own. You agree with that? You've gone through tests. You've gone through trials. Come on, let me know. All right, okay. I just want to make sure you're here. I'll keep you here till 2 o'clock if I have to. No, I'm just, just kidding. I'm just, all right, but I want you to know it's important. It's important that we grasp this. Our great lesson last time was Isaac facing his father Abraham's temptations and not doing very well with those temptations. It was said as, it was as we said, like father, like son. And as a point of review, Isaac's first trial, trial one, was facing loss and the temptation to forsake the land of promise. In other words, the famine came and what did he do? He didn't trust the Lord. He left and went toward Egypt. Therefore, he had that temptation of leaving completely and forsaking the promised land that God had given and said, I will bless you if you stay there. Now, God did intervene, but Isaac only half-heartedly obeyed. He stayed in Gerar rather than go back. His second trial, trial number two, was facing danger and fear by lying and acting selfishly. You remember. Just as Abraham had told Sarah, listen, don't tell him you're my wife, tell him you're my sister. Isaac said to Rebekah, don't tell him you're my wife, tell him you're my sister. Because if you tell him you're my wife, they'll take me and kill me and they'll take you and you'll become, you know, in the harem of Abimelech. He was acting selfishly. Isaac followed in Abraham's fear-filled footsteps and trying to protect his own hide by having Rebekah claim she was his sister, not his wife. 
And yet, and yet, and yet, think about this. The Lord remained faithful to his promises in spite of Isaac's faithlessness. Which, which, which I've got to interject here. Which means don't go around saying, you know what, I'll go ahead and be faithless so God can be more faithful. No. Don't be faithless. Don't be unfaithful. Don't do that. Because it's a hard lesson to learn the consequences of our sin. The consequences of our lies. Even as God protected Isaac's father, even in the midst of sinful conduct, Isaac was protected by the Lord. Why? Because God will keep his promises no matter what we do. But it is better if we do what is right in the sight of the Lord. And as we pointed out at the end of the the last study, Isaac became prosperous. But he became prosperous due to his hard work. And the Lord blessed him, it says. And this establishes the scene for the next trial. Let's read verses 12 through 14 of our text. Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. In one sentence, the word prosper is used three times. Three different ways, but it's used three times. Because there's a progression here that God is teaching us about the prosperity that God gives. The prosperity that God gives is something that begins, it continues, and it becomes great. As long as we let God be the one who prospers us. If we interject ourselves into the picture and say, well, look at how prosperous I've become, we've run into a problem. It's God who prospers, it's God who gives, and it is also God who can take away. And verse 14 says, For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds. Where did he get those from? From the inheritance that God said he would receive from Abraham. And a great number of servants, which he probably had that were raised in his household, as well as those that he also hired. Just like Abraham. And if you remember back in the time of Abraham, Abraham had about 318 men working with him and for him in his household. And that was his army that went after Uh, The army that had taken Lot. So can you imagine that Isaac had probably an army with him as well? God prospered him. So the Philistines envied him. And now we face a new trial. Trial number three. Facing envy and rejection due to prosperity. Isaac settled down. But he settled down frighteningly close to the border of Egypt. Egypt again, a type of the world. He settled down so close to Egypt and yet he endeavored for God's favor. He sowed and he reaped. Folks, if we want to reap, we have to sow. It takes work to sow. It takes work to sow seeds. Some of you have been doing a little bit of Spring planting. It takes a little work out there to do that, even in the midst of all of the wind that you have to deal with like yesterday. But it takes work. If you want to see progress, if you want to see prosperity, if you want to see something grow out of the ground, you have to work at it. And he did. And he endeavored. 
In other words, you do not reap if you do not sow. And Isaac did sow. And the Lord blessed. And, he, and, and so Isaac received enrichment. He endeavored and then he became enriched by God's favor. But now remember that Isaac and his neighbors had access to the same soil. Isaac and his neighbors all depended on the same sunshine and rain. Isaac didn't get more sunshine than the rest. But Isaac's harvest was greater than his neighbor's. He, he actually reaped a hundredfold. When maybe his neighbors reaped, reaped ten, twenty, thirtyfold, he had a hundredfold. And his flocks and his herds, they also multiplied greatly. And this is a reminder of God's faithfulness to keep his promise to Isaac. And again, at this point in time, Isaac is not in good fellowship with God. We'll see that in a moment. He's not in good fellowship with God. But this brings up a reminder that the Apostle Paul gives us in 2 Timothy chapter uh, 2, but, or 3, but, but let me, or I'm not, chapter 2. But those are the points. Isaac endeavored for God's favor. Isaac received an enrichment of God's favor. But Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 2, verses 11 through 13, he says, This is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall also live with Him. Have you died with Christ? If you've died with Christ, you live with Him. Have you died with Christ? Then you will live with Him. If we endure, we shall also reign with Him. Are we enduring? Through these days, these times, these hours, these struggles that we go through in life, are we enduring? Then you shall reign with Him. Well, there's not too many here enduring. I only heard a handful, you know, or a mouthful of people. Uh, are you enduring? Good, that's better. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Anybody ready to deny the Lord? Did you notice Pastor Saeed, what he went through? They're doing everything they can to make him deny Christ and he won't do it. A lot more than they're, they're trying to do to us here in, the, in this country. But I know Christians that are denying, or people that say they're Christians that are denying the Lord in our country because they don't like something that happens or they don't know, you know, they don't know anything about God, but they expect God to always just bless them. And when he doesn't, they say, why? Well, God must hate me or maybe there isn't a God at all. If we deny him, he'll also deny us. That's severe, isn't it? But it's true. Then he says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Praise the Lord. Even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. So when God makes a promise, he's going to keep that promise. And he'll get us through it, but we must begin to trust him. The Lord blessed Isaac also, not only because of these things, but because of Abraham's life and faith. We were told that when, when the Lord was telling him how he was blessing him, and back in, in, in verse 5, he says that, that he was blessing Isaac because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. I'm blessing you because your father Abraham obeyed me. And this is how the Lord blesses us, for the sake of the person and work of Jesus Christ. He's blessing us today because of what Christ has done for us. He's blessing us because of the sake of Christ and, and, and the cross and the empty tomb. God is blessing us. 
But He's also blessing us because of the prayers that have gone before us by loved ones who have invested in our eternal life. Did you know that there were people that have that have been praying for you to come to Jesus, those people, God is blessing because he's, you know, he's blessing us because of them. And in turn, he's blessing them. Are you praying for people to come to Jesus Christ? God will bless you for that. That's the investment we talk about all the time. This is the investment that we need to make for the lives of those who are without Christ today because we don't know if Jesus will come tonight or tomorrow or the next week or the next month. This is serious business, folks. Eternal life bears an investment. The greatest investment was Christ's blood, His life for us, and the prayers of the saints for you. God made it clear to Isaac the investment of Abraham in his son's life. Well, this is how the Lord blesses us. But verse 14 reveals us, reveals for us the forthcoming conflict. There is another conflict. Let's look at it. Genesis 26, verses 14 through 17. Read it in your Bibles. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And they had filled them with earth. And and Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. And then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. Now, one thing is for sure. If you have achieved and been blessed in life, expect envy from small people. And I don't mean... Physically, physical stature, small people. I don't mean that. If you have achieved and been blessed in life, expect envy from small people. That is, small in character. Christians, you are not to be small in character. Success in others always breeds envy in people who lack godly character. Christians, you must have godly character. You must have a Christ-like character. If a person gets blessed by God out of their socks, you can rejoice with them. But you do not sit there and say, look, that's what I want. I want that. I want what they have. That's envy. And that is a person of small character. Because God has blessed you too. As in this case, envy leads to enmity. And enmity is is just another word for hostility. Consider how hostile the Philistines became. They filled with dirt the wells Abraham had dug, the wells that Isaac would use for his flocks. Instead of putting their hands to the plow and working to achieve, those who envy often resort to doing evil against those that they envy. Even the Apostle Paul would address this kind of idleness that leads to envy and enmity. And and you know, sadly, uh, this is something that we're breeding in our own country today. An idleness. 
But the Bible has a very clear principle. And Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 10 through 12, he says, for even when we were with you, and by the way, up to this point, Paul has told them, he says, look, when we came to you, we didn't come to you to, you know, to, you know, to fleece you all and, and just live off of what you're doing. We worked. We put our hands and did things to the, you know, Paul was a tent maker. He did what he had to do so that he wouldn't burden the church in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and teaching them the word of God. He says, for even when we were with you, we commanded you this. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Take hold of that principle, folks. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For, he, for we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. <clears throat> now we can apply that word busybodies to a lot of things, gossip and getting into other people's business when they don't need to be doing that. But it also involves going out looking for things without working for them. And, and notice it says, Now those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. It's a principle. God has given us life. God has given us limbs and, you know, whatever we need we have to, you know, to do whatever we need to do to feed our families, to take care of them, to provide them with everything that they need. Well, why is it? And, and I, I have to mention this. I don't know there's none of you here, but, you know, we've actually had people call. that We don't even know them. They don't come to church here. But, you know, th- throughout the week they'll call and, and they'll all they want and they just blatantly ask for money. They just want money. They, they're, 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 you know, they, sometimes they lie and they say, well, we're having this problem or that problem. Now, <clears throat> by the way, we, we feed a lot of people because of your generosity and giving to the food bag and all. And we, we do as much as we can there. Sometimes we do help those that are hurting so that they can get up off their feet and get back to, to work and, and pray with them. God, provide for them what they need so that they can provide them uh, for their families. All of these things, you know, but, but for, for people just to go down a list of churches and say, you know, I need this much money or I need, uh, that's what they do nowadays. But I don't remember seeing a, a, the word bank on our name out here. You know, it doesn't say Calvary Chapel Bank. It doesn't say that. I mean, churches aren't banks. Hopefully the investments that we're holding on is, are eternal investments because their treasures are not here. They're in heaven. But this is the attitude that is even, you know, afflicting our nation today. And we have to be very careful about that. Because envy breeds enmity. And I think we've seen that, even in our own country. Well, in spite of his material blessings, Isaac was still suffering because of his lie. Let me just say that any time that we falter and fail in sin, there are consequences. There are always consequences to sin. The blessings that he received brought burdens and battles to his life. The Philistines struck at his water supply, which severely threatened his farming and his ranching operations. It caused a rift in the peaceful relationship that he had had with the Philistines. And by the way, it was uh, something that uh, a treaty had been made even many years before with Abraham. That was in question. He became a threat to Abimelech and his kingdom. Isaac did. Isaac's response, though, was one of respect. Now, godly people, even when they're away from fellowship with the Lord... Sometimes do the right thing. And he simply left and he pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar. But here's the problem. The problem is he didn't return to the heart of the promised land. 
which indicates a lack of complete trust in the Lord and His provision. Isaac was not trusting in the Lord. You read the first 12 verses. Actually, you can read all the way down to verse 22. And, and there's no mention, really, of Isaac speaking of the Lord or going to the Lord in prayer or of getting on his knees and seeking the face of God. Nothing do we see at the beginning of this chapter that indicates that Isaac is really trusting in the Lord. So there's a perception here. There's a perception here that Isaac was not walking close to the Lord. There is no great sense of, uh, or there is no sense of great faith as in Abraham. Even though Abraham failed, he went back to God. And we saw Abraham go through these times. As a matter of fact, not only days, but years, Abraham was silent with God. And God was silent with him. How things changed when they began to fellowship again. We could even ask here, did Isaac know the God of Abraham as he should? Did Isaac know the God of Abraham as he should? And it begs the question, do we know Jesus Christ as we should? I'm not asking this rhetorically. Do we know Jesus Christ as as well as we should? I hope that we want to know Him more. I hope and pray that we want to know Him better and know Him more, more than we did yesterday, today, more than yesterday, tomorrow, more than today. For all of you who grew up in the 60s, there was a song that was kind of like that, you know. I love you more today than yesterday, and, but not as much as tomorrow. That should apply to our love for Christ. Not that many old people in here today. <laughs> did Isaac know the God of Abraham as he should? If so, why did he remain so close to the scene of failure and faltering? Why did he stay so close to Egypt? Why did he stay so close to the world? Hanging around the fringe is still remaining outside. Outside of God, outside of Christ. When you hang around the fringe of the world, you're still outside. Outside of fellowship. Some of you are going through that right now. I don't know who you are, but God does. God knows you're just hanging around the fringes. He says, I want you in with me. In Christ is where to be. In Him is where to be. In Him is where to grow. In Him is where life is. But you're not feeling that. You're not experiencing it. I pray God speaks to your heart today. This is the mirror of God's Word on your heart and my heart too. You know, there's a description given of King Amaziah in 2 Chronicles 25, verse 2, that aptly fits Isaac at this point in his life. And it says this, He did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a loyal heart. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a loyal, perfect heart. That's that's describing a lot of us here today, too. We want to do what's right, but we don't do it completely. We don't do it with that perfect, complete, loyal heart to God. In effect, Isaac became a double-minded man for a, for a short amount of time. And James, going back to the book of James, in James chapter 1, verses 6-8, through 8, he talks about that. To those that he has just said, if any of you lacks faith, let him ask of God and, and God will give it to you. Not, you know, not, not asking, you know, not, 
showing any kind of uh, contempt toward you, but, but he'll give, give you that wisdom if you ask for him. The next verse he says there, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Where do waves go when the wind tosses the, 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 the sea? It goes everywhere, right? It doesn't stay focused and settled. It goes everywhere. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. For a short amount of time in the life of Isaac, he became unstable in his ways. And then James would later say in James chapter 4, verse 8, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, O you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. There is, a, there is something that brings us back to the Lord. It is drawing near to him. After all of our attempts have failed in trying to help God out, it is time to go back to God and say, Lord, I draw near to you because I can't do this on my own. And we cleanse ourselves by placing ourselves in the presence of God so that we are no longer double-minded. And we're getting to that point where we see Isaac coming out of it because here in trial four, he does face strife and hostility that a God allows him to face to bring him back to God. Let's read that passage, verses 18 through 22. And Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. He called them by the names which his father had called them. Also Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of, wa- of running water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek because they quarreled with him. Then they dug another well and they quarreled over that one also. So, they, so he called its name Sitna, which means opposition. And he moved from there and dug another well and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehobot or Rehobot, which it says because he said, for now the Lord has made room for us. The word Rehobot means spaciousness, openness. For now the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in this land. I want you to take note of what it says there in verse 22. What did Isaac just say? For, the, for now the Lord has made room. Up to this point he hasn't spoken of the Lord or spoken to the Lord. But this strife and this trial has just brought him back to God. And God blessed, as we'll see in a moment. But it says, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Isn't that speaking in faith now? Where was that in the first 21 verses? But now he's speaking in faith again. For not returning to the promised land, Isaac's troubles were to increase. And the Lord was going to use these trials and tribulations to cause him to return to where God wanted him to be. Now take note that Isaac reopened the wells that Abraham had dug and laid claim to them. He rightfully owned them and to establish his rights, he gave them the same names as his father had given them, but something else took place. Strife erupted over two of the wells. The herdsmen from Gerar laid claim to the wells of Essek, which means strife or quarrel. 
And at Sidna, which means opposition or hostility, it happened again. Isaac had a choice to make. Now, I want to stop there. I want you to think. We have a choice to make as well. Isaac had a choice to make. We have a choice to make. Isaac had a choice to either fight or to move on. In this case, Isaac acted in meekness and humility. Remember that Isaac has been a type of Christ. Christ who is the Prince of Peace. He acted in meekness and humility. He refused to fight. And so he moved on some distance away. He dug another well. And behold, no one argued over this particular well. So he named the well Rehoboth, which means plenty of space and room, enlargement. God enlarged Isaac's land and life. The Lord had made room and brought peace to Isaac. When you're going through distresses and trials and struggles and strifes and, and even, you know, tribulations and temptations, when you're going through these things, whether personal or re- related to your sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ, whatever it is, when you go through these things, don't you just feel so closed in? Isn't that what some of these trials and struggles and afflictions do to you? They cause you to just kind of, you, you feel like you're just trapped. But when God lifts the strife, now there's room. This is the description here. There's room now. There's room to serve the Lord. There's room to praise the Lord. There's room now. Because God has taken the affliction away. So, God used the trouble of strife and hostility to drive Isaac back to the Lord. And that's exactly what we see at the end of verse 22. Isaac says, now the Lord has made room for us. And He will bless. The land will be fruitful. Job was well aware of this correction that comes from the Lord. We read early on in the struggles of Job that he says in Job 5, 17 and 18, or it is said here, Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore do not despise the chastening, the correction of the Lord Almighty, for he bruises, but he binds up. He wounds, but his hands make whole. That, that is technically what happens when, when we understand that God is correcting us through trials. But later on, in Job's life, Job 23, verse 10, many years, or at least many chapters later, this is what he says. He says, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. When he has tested me, Job now understands something, as we should understand. When he has tested me, I, he says, shall come forth as gold. But he is talking about the process. It's one thing to look in a jewelry box and find gold and say, look, I found gold. You can go out and, and try to mine it as the 49ers did back over in, the, in, in California with a you know, 
with the rivers and you know doing the dirt thing and all of that and finding little pieces or you find mines and you dig deep and deep and deep and then you find the mother load and you find this vein of gold or whatever it takes a lot of work to do that right but it isn't that kind of finding that we're talking about it's taking that gold and then realizing that it is not in its pure state and therefore you have to take that gold and have it purified so that what comes out then is the purity of the gold that matters, but it has to be taken through the refiner's fire. So you're put into the refiner's pot, just as the, the, the gold with its impurities is, you know, what happens to it. And then as the fire heats it up, the impurities are burned away and scraped away, and what is left is pure. That's what Job is talking about. That's what Isaac went through. That's what Abraham went through. That's what David went through. That's what Paul and Peter and the apostles went through. And that's what we go through when we face these various trials in our life. God is purifying our lives because He loves us that much. And we can say with Job, when we go through these things, when He has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. It hurts. It's painful. But the end result is purity and God's favor. Paul understood this as well when he tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. He says, Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day for our light affliction. You know what's interesting about that phrase? Paul, if you look at the life of Paul through the book of Acts, you realize he didn't go through what we would consider light affliction. He went through some pretty heavy affliction, didn't he? And most of the apostles did too for the sake of the gospel of Christ. Yet he called it light affliction. What Pastor Saeed is going through in Iran today in that prison we would not call it light affliction. And yet, in comparison to the glory that we're going to receive for an eternity, it is light affliction. Paul says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. There is a greater weight of glory when we get to the end of all of our testing, of all of our trials, of all of our suffering in this life for the sake of Christ. There's a fifth trial and this is an interesting trial because it's facing fear and the failure of God's promises. But we don't hear about it or see it. It's something God already knows. It's in the heart of Isaac. And God wants to deal with Isaac about it. And so we read in Genesis whoop, Genesis uh, 26 verses uh, 23 through 25. In this little section, he says that he went up from there to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Now, what's happening here? God is now fellowshipping with Isaac and Isaac with God. And God says to him, I'm the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. Does that encourage anybody? 
And I'll tell you what, it encourages me, me and a couple other people. Does that encourage you? That God says, don't fear, I am with you. Oh, God, thank you. I just thought, man, I'm a little sick here. I'm the only one. Something's wrong with me. I don't know. God says, I'm with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. Again, it isn't because of anything Isaac has done. It's what God has done. It's what Abraham began and will continue in Isaac. So what does Isaac do? He builds an altar there. And he called on the name of the Lord. And he pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. For the longest period of time, Isaac had faced nothing but strife and contention, opposition and hostility. The people surrounding him saw him as a threat to their prosperity and security and could launch an attack upon him at any time. He was expelled from their land and was a target of their spite and their hatred. Could could, could he have wondered if, if God's promises would really be fulfilled in his life? It's quite possible he could be wondering that with all the strife that was around him. But what happened next was significant. He moved to Beersheba. And that was a very special place for Isaac. It was there that his father Abraham had entered into a covenant with the Philistine leaders. Chapter 21. By the way, here's a good like father, like son. Beersheba means the well of the oath. And that is a reminder to us that the Lord will always come to us with his assuring word at that moment that we need encouragement. At the very moment that we need encouragement, God will be there. And he will tell us what he told Isaac. I'm the God of Abraham, your father. Don't fear. I'm with you. I'm with you. Maybe we haven't heard those words audibly, but God has spoken them to you in his spirit and to your spirit. Have you ever just sensed that peace of his presence through the struggle in your life, through the pain and the hurt in your life? And the Lord said, I'm with you. I'm not going to leave you. And I'm not going to forsake you. Oh, how the Apostle Paul, oh, how he understood this, how he knew this. Because when he faced great opposition in Corinth, This is what we're told in Acts chapter 18, verses 9 and 10. The Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. Paul needed assurance and he needed encouragement and he got it from the Lord. The Lord says, I'm with you. Go preach my word. When in Jerusalem and facing great dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, by the way, in Acts 23, there's this thing where the Pharisees and the Sadducees are at each other, but they got Paul in the middle of them, and they're both pulling him, and he was like a, like a wishbone. They were about to bust him in two. And this is what we're told. The following night, the Lord said to him, or stood by him and said to him, Be of good cheer, Paul, 
For as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. I'm not done with you, but I'll be with you and you'll be able to do this because I will not leave you. You see, no matter who is against us in this life, no matter who is against us, God is with us and He is for us. But we must be for God and with God. Now Paul said in Romans 8.31, he said, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Then he says later on in verses 37 through 39, he says, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Who loved us? Jesus. In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded. Can you say that with Paul? I am persuaded that neither death nor life. Hey, that's it. You're either dead or alive. I hope you're alive. That covers it all. But Paul goes on. He says, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing. That includes you, by the way. Shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing and no one can separate us from the love of Christ. And folks, not even you can separate yourself from the love of God. And I hate to say it, but sometimes we try. Sometimes we try. But the Lord is faithful. That's what keeps us going. His faithfulness. Folks, there is no need for us to be afraid. In response to God's gracious word of promise, Isaac built an altar to the Lord and he worshipped him there. Folks, you came today to worship the Lord. Did you come to worship the Lord or not? You came to worship the Lord. Guess what? You don't have to be afraid in this life of anything. I don't care that the world is turning away from God and of Christ. And you read all these stories of what's going on in the world. And they do, you know, they want to get rid of Easter and they want to get rid of this and that. Well, you know, it's stupid to be wanting to follow after bunnies anyway or whatever. You know, I mean, just ridiculous. But, but, but folks, you know, they're, they're college professors that are teaching their classes and telling them, listen, you know, you, you take a picture of Jesus or you take a, you know, words about Jesus and then you put it on the floor and you stomp on it. You know, they're, they're te- teaching them to do that kind of stuff. That doesn't scare me. Because I know Jesus is coming. Because I know He's alive. I know He's risen. And folks, you need to know He's not leaving you. So don't be afraid. Worship Him. Worship Him in spirit and in truth. Worship Him. Worship Him today. Worship Him this afternoon when you go home. Worship Him at your work tomorrow at school. Going back to school, I understand. Worship Him. Worship Him. Serve Him. Love Him. He loves you. Isaac built an altar and he worshipped Him there. Now he was ready to meet any opposition, any adversity, any adversary. I want you to be ready because Jesus is coming. The Lord is, by the way, the answer to all of our fears. Have any fear whatsoever? The Lord is the answer. Isaac turned back to the Lord. God gave him boldness because he gave him his presence. He says, I'm with you. I'm with you. 
Now, Deuteronomy 31 verse 6 is added encouragement for us. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Now, the Lord will not leave us, but here's the thing that He tells us at the beginning. Be of good courage. Be strong. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Read Ephesians chapter 6 tonight. Write it down. Read it. The armor of God. Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 18. Read it every day this week. Be encouraged. Be strong in the Lord. God says, I'm with you. There's no greater picture of Jesus' presence with you than the armor of God. Every piece of armor is about Jesus in your life. So be doing that this week. That's your homework. Trial 6. Here we go. Facing the the need to build relationships. Got to finish with this. Facing the need to build good relationships. I want to read all the way down to the end from verse 26. Then Abimelech came to him from Gerar with Ahuzat, one of his friends, and Fichol, the commander of his army. And Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? But they said, now listen to this. They said, we have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. Isn't it interesting that when we turn back to God from our, you know, our our, uh, pulling away from his fellowship and all, that when we start standing firm and strong in the Lord, that even the world will see it? Even the enemy will see it? And they'll tremble? We've certainly seen that the Lord is with you. So we said, let there now be an oath between us, between you and us. And let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm since we have not touched you. And since we have done nothing to you but good and have sent you away in peace. Yeah, but you sent me away. (laughs) Yes, but in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. Isaac said, I don't need you to tell me that. I know I'm blessed. So he made them a feast. Look, look, look at his heart. I mean, Isaac's heart. He made them a feast. They ate and they drank. They arose early in the morning and swore an oath with one another. And Isaac sent them away. And they departed from him in peace. And it came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they had dug and said to him, we have found water. The implication is they have found a lot of water. So he called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Be'er Sheba to this day, the well of the oath, the well of the seven. When Esau was 40 years old, now there's this little uh, kind of a transitional passage leading into the next chapter. But it has to do with relationship as well, because it says when, I, when Esau was 40 years old, he took his wives Judith, the daughter of Be'er, the, uh, the Hittite, and Bazamoth, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. So, even though the Lord had met Isaac's need and eased his fears, his neighbors still stood against him for a time. Relationships were still disturbed and they were troubled. Peace had to be made between Isaac and his neighbors. Take note that Abimelech approached Isaac. Not the other way around. Abimelech approached Isaac. But you see, behind the scenes, the Lord had apparently been arousing fear. Fear in the hearts of the Philistine king and his advisors. Why? Because they saw God blessing his people. And it was also because they were possibly fearing the retaliation by Isaac because of all of the wells that they had closed up. 
But Isaac didn't respond that way. Not only was Isaac bolder, he was gracious as well, having forgotten the past, welcoming Abimelech and his chief counselor and military leader who came seeking peace. So the next morning, the two parties arose and they swore an oath to honor the treaty. On that very day, God blessed Isaac in a very special way. His workmen who had been digging a new well struck water and Isaac named it Sheba, just as Abraham had called it Be'er Sheba, or the well of the seven, or the oath. And so note that another treaty had been signed there as in Abraham's Be'er Sheba, like father, like son, but on the good side of it all. Isaac again becomes a type of the Christ who is the Prince of Peace. And it was Jesus who tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes, Blessed are the peacemakers, he says, for they shall be called the sons of God. Isaac was a peacemaker because we have a God of peace. We have a God of life. And that's the God we serve. Jesus would later say in the same sermon, uh, in the same chapter, he would say, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Jesus shows us the hallmarks of the kingdom by saying, Look, if you're going to be of my Father, you need to realize something. You don't hate your enemies, you love your enemies. That's easier said than done. So it has to be something done in the spirit, not in the flesh. Paul says in Romans 12, verse 18, he says, if it is possible as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. You know, after that video I saw today, I think there are a lot of conflicts that we have with our brothers and sisters in Christ, whether in this church or in other places or with other people. There are conflicts we just need to resolve right now. Because we need to be living at peace. I'm thinking of a brother that is just suffering for the gospel of Jesus Christ by the people who hate him the most. And we're over here, you know, just kind of messing around with little petty issues. Is that that touching anybody here? It's touching me. We need to, as much as possible on our part, Live peaceably, which means we make peace. Romans fourteen nineteen says, Therefore let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. And then Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, Pursue peace with all people and holiness. Now this is the key. We don't want to pursue peace like the world pursues peace. Because the world pursues peace, but it's always with conditions. Conditions of, you know, well, don't step on my foot, I won't step on yours, but everybody's stepping on everybody's foot, so what matters today? No, when we pursue peace, we pursue peace with holiness. Because only we as believers can do that. We, we have to pursue peace being set apart for Jesus Christ. And it tells us without which no one will see the Lord. We cannot see the Lord without the peace of God and the holiness of God in our lives. We pursue peace totally different than the world pursues peace. And then the last two verses of our text tells us, or tell us that while Isaac was at peace with his neighbors, he had conflict at home. 
His worldly son Esau had married two heathen wives who caused grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Later on, just to provoke his parents, he would marry a third heathen wife. I think that's in chapter 29. This makes us wonder why, in view of Esau's sinful lifestyle, that Isaac wanted to give him the patriarchal blessing. But we'll concern ourselves with that in the next chapter. So let's close with this thought. We would all like to find our Rehoboth. We would all like to find our spaciousness where we have plenty of room and no contention, no weight of burden, no weight of distress. But Isaac's Rehoboth was found only after he endured conflict and affliction. It is through difficulties that the Lord enlarges us for the larger places he prepares for us. I leave you with three scriptures from the book of Psalms. Psalm 4, verse 1, first of all. Hear me when I call, David says, O God of my righteousness, thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in my distress. The Lord knows how to deliver us from our distresses. When he lifts them, we have the space now to love him and to serve him and to call upon him and to worship Him. Psalm 25, verse 17 says, The troubles of my heart have enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Literally, he says, Bring me out of my distresses to that place where I have the spaciousness to be free from those burdens. Lastly, Psalm 18, verse 19. He also brought me out into a broad place. That's Rehoboth into the broad place. And he delivered me because he delighted in me. God delivers us because he loves us. God puts us through the trials because he loves us. God allows us that little opportunity, that light affliction to suffer because he loves us that much. That he wants us to appreciate the openness when He lifts the burden. We can go out of this place today, I know it's a little late, but we can go out of this place today lighter than when we came in because that crushing down of those afflictions on our lives, He will lift up when you call upon Him. So let the Lord deliver you from these fears, from these trials, from these tribulations, from these temptations, He alone is able. He alone is willing. Will you let Him? Will you let Him? Let's pray. Father, thank You for blessing us this day.